I got a couple more teachings on the Trinity that I, that I want to work through. Um, really, again, to kind of saturate our minds, to bathe our minds on this Trinity. I want to look at a verse in Corinthians 13, 14. Um, one of the most, I don't know, is, you know, there's verses in the Bible, and perhaps you've been reading the Bible, and you're like, wow, that verse was in there? And, um, and sometimes you get surprised a little bit. This was one of the verses that kept on coming up as I was studying, the, as I've been studying the Trinity. Um, we'll look at it in a second, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. But again, the, 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 the recap of where we've been, we talked about love and the icon and the portrait mode and the orthodoxy um, and the orthopraxy. Uh, and we've just kind of been hitting all these thoughts and ideas and concepts here on the Trinity. Um, and like I said, I think in, in December we, we'll, do, we'll do a few more um, We'll do a few more teachings. I want to kind of trace. Yeah. Yeah, you, you got your buddy over there, Mark, huh? You're set, buddy. Um, <laughs> he's one years old now. He can, is he, when was his official birthday? So he is officially one years old. So now he can kind of do what he wants now, right? Like now he's, yeah, he's a grown man. He's got his. <laughs> um, so we've been doing this. I got a couple more teachings that I want to do through December and then we'll, we'll pause and start something new kind of coming up in the new year. Uh, Paul and the Trinity. Here's the verse. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Second Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be with, as we talked about last week, y'all, yins, ye, um, be with you all. Um, this, is, this is the closing, the, literally the last, um, the last sentence in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, right? So he writes 1 Corinthians, he writes 2 Corinthians. He closes his letter to the Corinthians. And his conclusion, this kind of benediction, um, is an appeal for unity, right? It's a rejection. One of, the, one of the biggest things that Paul has to deal with all throughout the New Testament is how does he get all these random people to get along and to be united? Very similar to the church today. How do we get all these random people to get along and to be united? And he grounds his argument, right? He grounds his argument in the doctrine of the Trinity, right? In the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so I want to look at these, you know, just kind of the, what he links, the grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at each one of those words and how they link together. And um, we'll just spend a few minutes this morning kind of looking at those, those three words along with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So, first off, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting here is Paul actually does something that's kind of different. Whenever you read Paul's letters, oftentimes he will say, um, you know, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Typically in Paul's letters, he leads with the Father, he leads with God the Father, and then he kind of comes second with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Paul leads with Jesus. One of the commentators I was reading um, made this point that when he inverts Jesus, 
Canada primacy, right? When he puts Jesus first, right? Again, going back to, to this, you know, normally it would be like, may, may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? But Paul begins with our Lord Jesus Christ. So the commentators say that when he opens with Jesus, maybe he is perhaps interested in showing or declaring or kind of stating that there is no difference between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So Paul's kind of saying, hey, we're all on the same page. We're all together. We're all, um, or, or the Holy Spirit, the, the Son, the Father. There's no hierarchy here within, within the Godhead. Here come the Williams. I heard the car. One, Jeanette's wearing her glasses. Two, Um, and then he uses this word, uh, he uses this word charis, right? Grace. Grace, the Greek word here is charis. Charis is favor, oh, three, <laughs> favor, unmerited, free, good, kind. It's where we get our word charity. Um, number four, here she comes, ladies and gentlemen. Let's use an example here. I don't know why you guys have uh, been on my heart all week long, but um, you're going to be my example today, okay? Uh, You guys have been, you just threw this big one-year-old birthday party, and it absolutely bankrupted you. You gave all of your money, all of your financial resources, everything went into it, and there's nothing left in the bank, right? And you guys are like, holy smokes, we're going to lose our house, they're going to foreclose our house, they are going to repossess our cars, they're going to come and take it all, right? And we're like, man, goodness, I mean, guys, I'm sorry that this happened to you. So I decided that I am going to write a, a check to Chris and Liz. How much do you guys need? Come on, give me a number. I'm feeling generous today. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Here's my check for one. Oh, I got to put the dollar sign so everybody knows that it's not just to Chris and Liz for a million dollars, right? There's a big check. So I say, hey, I know that you guys are struggling, right? And I know that it's been tough and that (laughs) one-year-old birthday party really puts you over the edge. Here is a check for a million dollars. I'll give it to you because you probably need it too. He's like, that's not interesting. So if I did that, right? If I give you that check, right, again, there's nothing you've done to deserve it, right? It was just free. It was out of my own goodness, out of my own kindness. Again, this kind of idea of charity, right? What's interesting about that piece of paper that I gave you, assuming it was a real check, right, is it has the power to change your life, doesn't it, right? Like, really, if you guys are like, man, everything's, we've, we've got nothing. We're going to lose it all, right? You really kind of put yourself in that situation, Everything's going to be taken from us. And I gave you that piece of paper. Um, it, it really would change your life, right? This act of charity. Now, you could take that piece of paper and be like, hey, let me see the piece of paper again. Wow. This makes me feel so good inside. I just, Eric, that you would do this. I can't believe it. And look at, look at your, your handwriting on that. And the way that you, the way that you wrote one million is so powerful. I'm just grateful. You know what I'm going to do with this check? I'm just going to, I'm just going to frame it. 
and we're just going to always think good thoughts about it, right? The gift that I gave you, right, it has great power in it, but you actually have to utilize it for it to be worth anything. When we talk about grace, right, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, it is both a gift and a power, right? It is both a gift and a power. A few years ago, um, and I'm assuming you guys don't need this check, you're not going to cash it, right? A few years ago, my mentor had these bracelets made, and I took a picture, and I know it's hard to see in the picture, but he had these bracelets made, and I want to talk about grace for a second, right? Um, and these, these bracelets are, you know, it's, I'm not much of a leather bracelet kind of a guy, and I think I did wear it for a while. So you would kind of wear it, wear it like that. It's a little aggressive in my opinion, but <laughs> they're, they're like a gospel bracelet. Like you've probably seen different gospel bracelets. It's a little bit of a different gospel bracelet. And on one side, I know it's really hard to see, especially the bottom one. It, it says sin, the top says sin and shame and guilt and ruin and loss and death. And then the bottom says life, holy, freedom, joy, peace, love, hope. And so you have this bracelet, which is just kind of a standard bracelet, but then there's also a snap on the underside and it turns into what's called a Mobius bracelet, right? So you kind of do it like that. So um, you would start here, watch this. This is how he would explain the gospel, right? You would start here, sin, shame, guilt, ruin, loss, death, oops, came unsnapped. But then, again, it, it, it switches here, right? And you get life, hope, freedom, joy, peace, love, hope. So it's, it's kind of had, it was kind of this interesting, this, again, just a bracelet, but this under kind of snap turned it into a Mobius strip, a Mobius bracelet, as a way to explain the gospel, as a way to say that, that, out of this sin and the shame and the guilt and the ruin and loss and death. And again, Jesus kind of becomes this turning point, this fulcrum in which we are given in exchange, right? Life, hope, freedom, joy, peace, love, and hope. Um, grace is, let me see. Again, grace is both the gift and the empowerment right? Grace is both this, this kind of turning point, right? Where we, where we move from sin and loss and death and ruin to life and hope and love. It is both the turning point, but it is also the empowerment, right? It is also the power to live in that life. Just um, a lot of times when people talk about grace or when they hear the word grace, the only word that comes or the only thought that comes to mind is some sort of a synonym for sin forgiveness, right? Dallas Willard, one of my favorite quotes, I think I've shared this before, one, one of my favorite quotes about grace, one of the best ways to think about grace, Dallas would say this, he says, grace is not just a synonym for the forgiveness of sin. The saint consumes grace like a 747 burns fuel during takeoff. Everything they do is a manifestation of grace. In, in, essence, in essence, Jesus is giving us this gift, his grace, right? This forgiveness of sin, this charity, this kind act, this deed, right? 
But the second part of that is it's as if we're cashing that check every single day, right? Everything we do is a manifestation of grace. Um, and one other thing that I think is really important for us to think about is when you consider this word grace, right? And when I think about a saint who's burning this grace, when I think about a saint who is really utilizing the gift that has been given to them, one of the things that the commentators also point out was how often grace and peace are found. They're found in every single greeting of Paul's epistles. And they understand that when you are a person who not only has received that gift of grace, right, but you're actually utilizing that gift of grace, that grace is giving you, it's empowering you, it's, it's that, that jet fuel that you're burning, right? What does that lead to? Paul says grace and peace, right? Grace and peace. Every single one of Paul's epistles, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, on and on, right? that Paul links these two together. It's no accident that grace always precedes peace. It is the fountain of which peace is the stream. One last thing about grace. Um, God gives this grace to the humble, to the weak, right? God gives this grace to the humble, to the weak. Humility is the only soil in which the grace, I think I should have cut off that S, in which the grace takes root, right? The lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Going back to this check, one last kind of, I give you this check and you guys say, Eric, that's so kind of you, but we're good. I don't, we don't need it. We are going to figure out it. We are going to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We are going to figure everything out. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to show you, Right? Really, God gives us this gift of grace, this empowerment of grace. And really, all it is, it's just us being humble enough to say, Lord, I need that, right? Not only do I need the gift of grace, but I need the power of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in my life, in our lives. So, Paul begins by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is both a gift and power. It is both a gift and power. And then he moves on to this next phrase, which he says, the love of our Father. Now this Greek word here that Paul chooses to use is this word agape. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, In the Greek mind, in the Greek thought, there was three different words for love. Um, This is one of them. Uh, It's used 115 times in the New Testament. The other two, phileo and eros, phileo is like kind of brotherly love, friendship love. Eros is kind of more romantic, erotic love. Agape is this um, unconditional, self-sacrificial, giving love. So, scroll down here in one second. Um, it's again to me. To me, this this word, this word agape, is is really the fulcrum. And and I think all of us here would agree. It's the fulcrum of the New Testament, isn't it? It's the heart of the Christian narrative. It's this God, who self-sacrificially, unconditionally, lays down his life. Right. 
when I often meet with married couples to talk about their new relationship, right? They're getting ready to get married or maybe they're stuck in their marriage. One of the things that I, I really try and make a point to discuss with them or for them to understand is this idea of covenant versus consumer love, right? Covenant versus consumer love. Tim Keller talks about this, by the way, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, and he does a, a really great job explaining this, and so this is a cliff notes of, of Keller, some of what Keller has done in covenant versus consumer love. Covenant love, um, uh, let's look at this next slide. Covenant love, we'll start at the bottom, is the way that a parent loves their child. And I kind of put most days because we don't always love our kids with covenant love. There are often days when consumer love, right? When you think about consumer love, this, this, is, this is really something that has to be pointed out to marriage couples. It's infatuation based on what the other person gives me, right? Oftentimes, especially in early stages of a relationship, right? You meet somebody, and this is kind of why I'll do premarital counseling with people. You meet somebody, and that person all of a sudden gives you the butterflies in your tummy, right? And you get a little bit excited, and they make you happy. And whenever you think about them, you daydream a little bit. And they build your self-esteem. And they support you in all that you do and whatever you want to do. And they give you value and identity and their sexual passion, right? And consumer loves is, it's kind of based on what that person gives you, right? Covenant love, again, going back to this, it's the way that a parent loves their child. I mean, sure, you know, little Brooks, he gives you good feelings and he makes you smile and he makes you happy, but he's really not contributing anything to, to the family. He's not like helping out. He's not doing, you know, if you ask him like, hey, I need you to do this. It's not like he's, the way that parents love their children really is this kind of unconditional, self-sacrificial, um, giving love. You love them completely, right? It doesn't depend on how attractive your children are. It doesn't depend on your emotions or their behavior. You love your kids with all you are until the end, right? Uh, married couples, again, think about this in just your own marriage, right? When your spouse doesn't give you what you want, how fickle your love can be for them, how think quickly things change, right? Meanwhile, your child is just like, man, my child is a complete whatever, but I still love them, and, and this is my, you know. Covenant love is, is what, is, is kind of the, the heart behind this self-sacrificial, this unconditional love of the Father, right? Uh, one of the theologians, a guy named F.B. Meyer, says it like this. Wherever there is true love, and I will refrain from the um, Princess Bride um, reference here. I know some of you guys are, you haven't seen Princess Bride? Is that... <laughs> You'll have to ask Brian about that later. Um, wherever there is true love, there must be giving. And giving to the point of sacrifice. Love is not satisfied with giving trinkets. It must give at the cost of sacrifice. It must give blood, life, all. And so it was with the love of God. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten 
son, the writer of John says that the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. This is agape love. This is the love of the father. And that great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean sacrifice maybe in the way that Christ, you know, died for one another, but in the sacrifices that we make for one another, right? So this love of the Father, this agape of the Father, this unconditional, self-sacrificial love, the way that we sacrifice for one another. Now, to define this love, again, going back to my friend Dallas Willard, who uh, just has such a precise way of defining things, right? The way that he defines grace. We'll use him again for the way that he defines love. Love means will to good. Willing the benefit, willing the good of what or who is loved. We may say we love chocolate cake, but we don't. Rather, we want to eat it. That is desire, not love. Willard says, in our culture, we have a great problem distinguishing between love and desire, but it is essential that we do so. Agape love, perhaps the greatest contribution of Christ to human civilization, wills the good of whatever it is directed upon. It does not wish to consume it. So think about someone whom you absolutely love in your life and your heart and your desire and your greatest goal for that person is that they would become their best. You are willing the good of that person. You are using all of your energy, all of your, your strength, all of your soul, your mind, that that person be, could become the best version of themselves, right? Think about that with your kids. Think about that with your spouse, right? This is what it means to love someone. We are willing the good for that person. Now, sometimes people may not encounter that as willing the good. When I discipline my children or tell them that they cannot eat ice cream for breakfast, right? I am willing the good for my children because I understand that if you choose to eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that is not a good long-term strategy, right? We are willing the good of someone else. Agape is love centered on the welfare of others, not simply an emotional state. This is how the Father loves you, right? This is the love of the Father, that he wills your good. He wants the best for you. He wants the benefit for you, right? He is not trying to consume you and use you and just make your life miserable. It is a will to good. It is a covenant love, that his love for you is not dependent on how attractive you are, how many times you attend church, how many Bible verses you memorize, how many this you do that, or how many songs you sing. Or It is the Father simply saying, I want the best, the same way that we do as a parent. I want the best for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. When we use this word fellowship, <laughs> there's some throwback photos for you, and I don't know if anybody remembers these days. Rob, you might remember these days. I'm trying to think who else would be. Maybe you guys remember these days. Although I don't know if you guys had a church basement. Huh? 
You know, the church that I grew up in, you know, you used to get, the, you used to go to the fellowship hall, and you'd kind of hang out, and you'd eat the sherbet, you'd drink the sherbet punch, which was the super sherbet, and then the adults would drink like that really kind of nasty, you know, freeze-dried coffee, and you'd kind of hang out in some sterile room environment with, with fold-up metal chairs, um, and, and often that word fellowship, like, hey, let's have fellowship together, right? It kind of was a synonym for just hanging out, right? And just kind of make an awkward conversation over some, you know, pretty poor beverage choices. And, you know, usually, what else would you guys have in the fellowship? Come on, Phil. Fellowship hall, what would you guys have? Some... Always, like, some pastry, like, nasty pastry. Some old lady would make some cookies, <laughs> you know, or, or, or bake something. And you, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being a little too hard on the old church, the old church out. But a lot of times when you talk about fellowship, right, we think about just hanging out, right? We think about our waffle breakfast last week, and we're just fellowship, right? We're just hanging out, right? This word koinonia um, that, you know, Paul again uses here, you guys didn't even know you're going to come to church this morning and learn all these Greek words and you're going to go out speaking in Greek to one another. It, it means participation. It means holding something in common. It's not simply gathering. Peter Toon kind of uses some of these examples. He would say that this word koinonia would be used of a business partnership where two or more persons share the same business and uh, and are thus closely connected in work. I'm trying to think if we have any business people together. I don't know. Maybe you guys, I know you don't share the same work, but we have two firemen here. You guys kind of are in the same, right? same share, that kind of same, you're not really closely connected. Or I know, Chris, you, you, you and Dustin, you guys do some work together and, and those sorts of things. Coining, that's fellowship, right? You guys are working together on a project. It's used of a marriage, right? This word koinonia, this word fellowship. Shared life of two persons, a man and a woman together, right? In Greek thought, this even encompassed the marriage bed, Right? This very intimate act of sexual relations, right? Um, It was used to refer to the spirit of generous sharing in contrast to the spirit of selfish acquiring, right? Fellowship wasn't just hanging out, wasn't just spending time together, wasn't just sharing a cup of coffee. It was partnership. It was holding something in common. Um, the, The idea that, um, kind of came across to me, one of the most profound uses of koinonia in the New Testament, or to kind of get this point across, we've been watching this, this series together, and I don't know if this is a good screenshot or not. This is probably not a great screenshot. I had to go to the Chosen series. Um, at the end of, I think, episode four, um, this is the, the scene where, where Peter casts the net in, onto the other side, and they have this miraculous catch of fish, right? So in Luke 5, 7, he, he calls his partners, right? Peter calls his partners, and you guys maybe remember that scene, um, James and John and, and Zebedee kind of all come running over to help bring in this miraculous catch of fish. That word partner, right, kind of is in the same root. It's in the same family as this word koinonia. It's the shared interest. It's this common goal. In, in some senses, like you're kind of partners in crime, right? This is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
doesn't just happen to be at this kind of same social church gathering that we happen to be at. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is working alongside you. It's partnering with you. It's your companion. More likely, you're kind of the companion to the Holy Spirit. But really, do we consider the Holy Spirit like that? Right? Do we really consider that the Holy Spirit, right? When you think about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the partnership of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the shared interest of the Holy Spirit, is with you kind of during that morning routine when you're getting your kids ready for school or you're getting ready for work or you're driving on the freeway? Is the Holy Spirit your companion in that sense? Or is he just like, yeah, he just kind of whatever, right? Is the Holy Spirit your companion when you're in that difficult meeting at work? That he's with you when you parent your children, right? The Holy Spirit is a friend who has a shared interest in your next stage of life, whatever that might be, right? Whatever's happening in that next stage of life. If you're changing careers, if you're going into retirement, if, you're, uh, if, if there's changes in your family, if there's a move, if there's a new job, all those sorts of moves, the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, right? Paul says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship. He's partnering with you. He's communing with you. He's companioning with you, the Holy Spirit, right? That is what the, do we consider the Holy Spirit like that? Do we actively consider and think about the Holy Spirit like that? And then lastly, again, going back to that original verse, let me just show that, go back to that original verse real quick. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And then these last three, four words, is almost the gospel in three words, right? It's this, to be with you, right? That God wants to be with you. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit want to be with you. If you were to kind of maybe, what's the gospel? Oh yeah, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they want to be with you. They want to be, they like you. They love you. They're actively willing your good. They are partnering with you. They are empowering you. They want to be with you. Um, I think that's about enough for today. I do want to do a little discussion. But before I do discussion, Robin, did you bring your water? Um, before I do discussion, I want to circle back. <clears throat> Can we... Can we really like mentally change gears for one second? Because there was something I wanted to talk about from last week um, that I kind of held back on due to some of the the smaller ears in the room. Um, And I'm just going to put this up here. I'm going to grab a quick drink of water. And then then we'll have like three or four more minutes of teaching. All right? Here we go. You guys can think about this for a second. I'm just going to get a sip of water.
Okay. You know, last week we were talking about this idea of Trinitarian orthopraxy, right? Actions, um, deeds, how else do we, morals, just kind of, kind of right, kind of behaviors, right? Like how do we, how do we act in terms of the Trinity? And I wanted to talk about this last week. Um, but when we were talking about Trinitarian kind of behaviors, I know that we talked about music time, and I gave that idea of, you know, kind of singing us, we, ye. We talked about Bible reading. We talked about prayer. Um, we talked about work. We talked about the connectedness of all of our work. And then I wanted to talk about sex, and I wanted to talk about sex not necessarily in, in kind of a juvenile way, but I, I really want to think of this. I really want us to think about this. And, and you know, churches, we often don't do a great job talking about sex, which is a real disservice to a lot of people sitting out there in the con in the um, congregation. Um, <clears throat> so this, I hope this isn't graphic and, and vulgar, and again, not to be juvenile, but I, really, I, I want this to be poignant, and I want this to be deeply theological as we think about sex in in light of the Trinity. Um, I know he's getting all excited, and he's the one that. <laughs> okay, here we go. Now. In the act of intercourse, right, coitus, if you are a Big Bang Theory fan, in that act of sex, of sexual relationship between a husband and, and um, his wife, right, I am sure, I'm trying to think, most folks in here, yep, pretty much everyone, I am sure that you have experienced at some point incredible, unspeakable, um, spiritual intimacy, right? Perhaps it's in that moment of, of having sex with your partner. Maybe it's in the afterglow of sex. Maybe there's, there's kind of moments between a husband and a wife, but there is that untouchable connection, that relational bond. It's peaceful yet powerful, right? There is, when I think about sex, right? Let me say this. There is intimacy, connection, a bond present in the sexual act. And here's how I think about that in light of the Trinity. It is a glimpse into the intimacy of connection between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That moment of when you feel most close to your spouse, again, that peaceful yet powerful bond, that spiritual and soulful sharing, that connection, right? That literally all your physical, mental, emotional senses combined, right? People use the word magic. They use cosmic. I was out of my, whatever. It is a glimpse, ladies and gentlemen, into the intimacy of connection between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? And, and again, we have to think about, we have to think about, like, think about how close that is. Do you think when we get when we are, are in heaven or when heaven comes to earth, right? Do you think it's just going to be like, hey, we just kind of have these awkward distances between one another and things are kind of weird and I don't know how to... The connection that we experience there, I really believe that it is, it is something that is a glimpse. It's like a crack in the door of the bond of the connection that we will experience, not only with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but with one another one day. And I think it's why the church, 
has always protected and made sex such a, a sacred act between a man and a woman because it is really a glimpse into that shared life of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? Again, I want the idea of the Trinity, as we consider the Trinity and as we think about the Trinity, I don't just want it to be some cold doctrine, some dogma that you know churches talk about. I want it to invade and intersect all the different aspects of our lives, of church, of work, of home life, of relationships with those we're closest to, right? I want us to think about the Trinity in all areas. And I think sex is a powerful, powerful glimpse into this bond between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, And I think that's something for us to consider. Now, speaking of sex, one last thing before it gets, you know, we can kind of go back to the normal, not kind of awkward time. Um, my wife and I had sex a couple of months ago, and we actually are going to have another baby coming up in a couple in a couple months. So you can see Williams, Robin is going to have. Um, so that's yeah, we, that's how babies are made. And I like I said, I think it's a sacred Trinitarian act, and uh, that's just how you lead into it as a pastor, right there. So. <laughs> Now, I know that you're all curious and you probably have a thousand questions, so let me answer them for you. <laughs> We're replanning this. No, this was not part of the plan. This was a kind of like we looked at the pregnancy test and said, oh boy, how did this happen? Uh, we were very happy in moving forward in our lives with our little mini trinity, Julia, Jeanette, and Alice. Uh, how's Robin feeling? Robin is not feeling great. She's had some difficult days, and she, we are hoping that this uh, third trimester comes along. And speaking of that, how far along is she? Somewhere around eight weeks, nine weeks? Ten, uh, tomorrow. ten tomorrow. So we're hoping that in another week or two, that first trimester blues kind of comes away. Um, when is the baby due? June 26th is the day that the baby is due. Will you find out if it's a boy or a girl? Nope, we will not find out. Do you want it to be a boy or a girl? Uh, we always have mixed feelings on this because if we have a girl, then it's two in each bedroom. If we have a boy, oh man. I mean, I'm excited, would be excited to have a boy, but I don't know if I'm ready for a boy at this stage of my life. Girls, I, I kind of know what to do with. Um, is this to help grow the church? Potentially, yes, because, <laughs> because we have, I mean, if, if we've done one thing well, is we've, we've, um, we've definitely contributed to the growth of the church. Um, how are six people going to live in your house? We do not know. There's been talk about setting up a tent in the backyard, maybe barring the Schaefer's trailer, um, or uh, just buying an RV in. Robin and I would live on the driveway. We don't know what's going to happen there. Um, do you have names picked out? Yes, we do have boy names picked, a boy name picked out, but we are um, actively searching for girl names. Percival, the truth, Williams, is still, is still in, in consideration. That was Brian's dad's name if we ever had a boy. And then last but not least, question number 10, can we pray for you? Yes, I, maybe I should have started out with that. Can we pray for you? So those are all the questions. We are going to have an, another baby, um, and we're thrilled, kind of, and uh, we will be more thrilled. I, I think one of the things that's held us off from being really thrilled is just she's not been feeling great, so it's kind of hard to be really excited and thrilled when somebody's like feeling like this a lot of the time. So... The Big Ten, um, I don't even know if you'll remember the rest of my sermon. I don't even know if that was, you know, but, but just in case, let's do this. Let me say a word of prayer, and then let's just spend a few minutes in discussion this morning, because I think that there were some things that we talked about this morning that would be 
interesting for us to think about, you know, reflecting on last week's teaching, the orthopraxy, was there an area that stood out to you, music time, scripture reading, prayer, work, sex? Of the three words used this morning, grace, love, and fellowship, which one fell on your ear and caught your attention? Is there an area where the Holy Spirit is calling you into deeper fellowship? Again, that's, that's such a profound thought for me is that the Holy Spirit, companionship, partnership, working together um, was, was really something for me to think about. <clears throat> uh, what is a relationship in your life that kind of needs to be empowered with grace? So let me say a word of prayer <clears throat> and then um, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, Lord, I, again, I, my hope and my prayer, and really, Father, if I could ask one thing from you, is that this church, and that those who are in it, and that those who are a part of it, and that those who are watching online, and those who are associating themselves with this fellowship, would see the Trinity, would see the Father and the Son and the Spirit, would see the grace and the love and the fellowship, Um, just swirling around them, active in them, empowering them, strengthening them, loving them, partnering with them. That we continue to think deeper about the things of God. It's, It's not good enough for us to just sit here on a Sunday morning and just talk about me and my sin and my relationship with Jesus. It's not good enough. It's not deep enough. It is the Father and the Son and the Spirit all active, all involved. The entire plan from creation to the cross to the consummation, the whole plan, every detail, every aspect of our lives is sustained in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. All these things prayed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.